1: Good morning Ohio, James Ernest of The Grueling Truth here with author Tom Callahan, author of the new book, Gods at Play, an eyewitness account of great moments in American sports. So thank you for joining us, Tom. My pleasure. So how does this book compare to your other works?
0: You know, this is the smallest, um, it's a book of little memories. It's, uh, of course, it's a memoir of 50 years I spent... My life looking at games, but uh, but when I sat down, I didn't expect what would come out is a lot of little little memories. You know, it's a, a typical one. Let me tell you a typical one. Mm-hmm. The, the 1972 World Series opened in Cincinnati. Jackie Robinson was on the field before Game Two. He was 53, but looked 73. Mm-hmm. White-haired virtually blind from diabetes. Nine days later, he dropped dead. Oh, damn. And, um, of course, the black players on both teams, the Oakland A's and the Cincinnati Reds, surrounded him before the game. They just wanted to touch him. Everybody but the little second baseman for the Reds, Joe Morgan, who kept playing catch on the side. I got kind of fascinated by this. And, um... So anyway, the message came over the PA for the non-uniform personnel to leave the field. Mm -hmm. And uh, Morgan went up behind Robinson. And he didn't say, this is Joe Morgan. He said simply, in a voice so low, I had to lean in to hear him. Thank you. And Robinson, without turning around, said, you're welcome. I followed Jackie into the Reds' dugout and up the ramp into the clubhouse where Jim Murray of the Los Angeles Times was standing. Jackie, it's Jim Murray, he said. Oh, Jim, Oh, Jim, Robinson said. I wish I could see you again. And Murray said, no, Jackie, I wish we could see you again. Well, I can't tell you the score of the game that day, but I'll never forget that exchange. And this is a book full of the memories, all of the things I saw like that in my in my
1: time around sports. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, talk about, I mean, a huge moment in, in sports that, uh, yeah. So it sounds like you were inspired to write your book so others could know about uh, these, these unique moments in sports. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I was in a hotel room. Uh,
0: with, with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Houston. It was kind of near the end of his career. And uh, I told him that Lucius Allen, an old UCLA and Milwaukee teammate of his, had told me that, that he was intimidated by his own height. And Kareem said, ashamed would be a better word. He said, I was ashamed at how high my head was over my high school class. He said, you should see the cap and gown photo. But uh he said, I searched and searched for role models so I could feel proud of myself. And it, it took me a long time to find them. I said, who were they? And he said, I'm not sure I want to say. And I said, Will Chamberlain? And he said, are you crazy? Uh. And we, we laughed, but he stopped first. And in an incredibly soft voice, he said to me, the Empire State Building, the Redwood Tree, can't make up a line better than that one. Exactly. You know, uh, it's, it's amazing and kind of accidental how I was standing places, you know, all through my life. You know, I, I stood with Roberto Clemente at his last locker. Of course, neither one of us knew it was his last locker. And I'm only there because the playoffs had just ended on a wild pitch in favor of the Reds. And, uh, I went into the visitor's locker room because I didn't want to get champagne all over myself. And um, all the other writers went with the winners. So here I had Clemente to myself. You know, and he, <laughs> he asked me in kind of a academic way, how many opposite field home runs have you seen Bench hit? Johnny Bench led off the top of the ninth inning with a game-tying home run off Dave Justy. Straight over Clementi's head in right field. And I said, that, "I'm not sure, but I think that's the only one I ever saw." And and he said, "I thought so." You know. And we just talked for a few few minutes. And uh, that's got, a total accident. You know. It's it's you know. It's like everything that happened to me in my uh, life as a sport writer. I just happened to be standing there for a lot of things. There's nothing in this book I heard of. It's all things I saw.
1: I was going to say that answers my next question. I was going to say uh, uh, a lot of times in uh, books there's a lot of research involved, but it sounds like all your research was just first-hand experience.
0: Yeah, I guess it was. You know, I was standing at the finish line for all of Secretariat's big races. I was in Africa for, you know, an Alley fight. You know, I I was there, you know, and, and um, you know, as I say, when, when you some up a life like the strange life I've lived, it's the smaller things. It isn't, you know, I was at the Miracle on Ice, but it, it's not, it's not the, the, the great touchdown run. You know, it's not the, it's not the home run. You know, it's the, it's the little, tiny things. I hung around with Red Smith a lot, which was a great break for me. He was a wonderful writer in New York. And near the end, I'd be his legs. You know, I'd go I'd go down to the finish lines or the clubhouses, you know, and he'd start his column in the press box. And uh, half the time when I'd get back, he'd say, I'm rich, I'm rich, which meant leave me alone. <laughs> you know, that he was had already started and didn't need me. But anyway, I came up once um, and I said, I've got to stop you, Red. Reggie Jackson had hit three consecutive home runs off three first deliveries from three different Dodger pitchers. And after the game, in the hurry to get a quarter or two, I stopped off at at, uh, first baseman Steve Garvey's locker in the the Dodgers' quarters. And uh, he said to me, the third time Reggie rounded first, when I was sure nobody was looking, I applauded into my glove. and and that was Red's punchline the next day
1: and mine oh wow I mean yeah definitely being at some of the the peak moments in sports how is sports history compare with regular history is it an important part of American history I think so you know keeping the public
0: um informed on anything is worthwhile work you know and uh you know, there were historical figures in my time. The most compelling figure was, of course, Muhammad Ali. You know, and, and, and Ali, the funny thing is, is he, he always greeted me the same way. How's Angie? I like her better than you. <laughs> and uh, and, and, uh, and he never met her. I handed her the phone once, though so I was trying to get rid of him. See, he, he can be hard to get rid of. And... Uh, Deadline was bearing down, so I handed her the phone, went into the next room, wrote a column, and an hour and a half later, I came out, and they were still talking. And uh, when, when I was in Zaire, of course, I picked Foreman. Students of my picks through the years won't be surprised. I had Foreman in one, and it was on the wall of the hacienda where the writers used to do their typing in Kinshasa. And uh, Allie came in and looked at that, and he, he, he made motion to me, come on outside. And we went out. It was, you know, (laughs) blacker than half past 12. And we had to hold on to each other to make our way to the Congo River. And um, when we got there, he said, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you ever to forget it. Black men scare white men more than black men scare black men. And, of course, that's right. We were afraid for him. And uh, I said, aren't you even a little afraid? And he said... uh, a little fear is good," he said. "I have to have my fear. I can't do without my fear, but only a very little." And I said. Angela Dundee says that that he's never seen you this uptight. And Ali said, "My whole destiny is at stake here." And of course, I knew I was wrong before the fight even started, because it, here it's four o'clock in the morning in Africa. You know, stadium full of a hundred thousand black faces. And Ali got stuck in his corner, and Dundee was checking the gloves in Foreman's corner. And the anthem started. He wasn't about to uh, move while this Zaire anthem was playing. And um, so, so Ali's trying to motion him over. And finally, he just says, "Angelo, Angelo, look at the arms on him. Look how big he is. He's huge." You know. And uh, I thought to myself, uh-uh, And. Um, the first round, Ali barely uh, fought. You know, he, he spent the first round convincing himself the foreman couldn't hit him in the head. Nobody could. But when the bell rang, he, he ran to his corner, spit out his mouthpiece, and yelled over my shoulder to Herbert Muhammad, his manager, Elijah Muhammad's son, leave him to me. And I knew I was wrong.
1: How were you able to experience such great events in the, histories of, in the history of sports? think it was just an accident. You know, it's like it's kind of a you know a, 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 a
0: unusual thing. You know, I, I was I was there I was there when Ruffian broke down at Belmont Park. You know, and my I was there with my great friend Bill Knack, who's who's dead now. Who's a lovely guy, Sports Illustrated guy. And, you know, I barely know which end of a horse eats. I used to follow Knack around it to so I'd know what's going on. And uh, we ran out on the dirt on the track when Ruffian broke down. And uh, and then we went, you know, we, we, we kind of worked that story our, ourselves. And uh, there's so many stories I can't even explain to you why I was there. You know, I, I, I talked to Ted Williams every year at spring training. And, you know, he didn't like the sports writers, But for some reason, he and I got along. And uh, all the old great players at spring training, they come back in uniform. You know, like Sandy Koufax, you know. Al Kaline but not not the not the splinter he T- 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 Williams would wear a roomy fishing shirt but I think the, the secret for why we got along is I didn't try to interview him you couldn't interview him he interviewed you he would say to me um you're from Baltimore right I say yeah he said um I said Ch- Chicago originally I was born in Chicago but I but I went to school in Baltimore and he said um, uh, you, must have been a, you must have played lacrosse instead of baseball. I said, after Little League Baseball, everybody played lacrosse. Let me ask you something. Do you know Johnny Unitas? I'd say, a little. And he said, okay, Unitas is standing over center, and the stadium bursts into flames. What does he do? And I say, he runs the play. Hmm. That's God-given. That's God-given. Good to see you again, Tommy. Next year, we'll talk about Chicago. Hmm. I I knew him, but I didn't really know him, you know, um, as I say, I I feel like one of the luckiest, you know, it it, it seems like a funny thing to look back on 50 years, you know, of sports writing, but, you know, O.J. Simpson asked me once, who do you say was better, me or Jim
1: Brown? I said "Gail Sayers, (laughs) you know?
0: (laughs) You know, he laughed. Uh, that's how he won us with a laugh. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 a funny, kind of weird, kind of existence. But yeah, uh, you know, I was at Billy Jean's um, Houston match with Bobby Riggs. You know, I was I was just present for so much, and um, and I and, and I'm, I don't know, I'm grateful I was.
1: So what's your favorite sport to watch? I'm sorry? What's your favorite sport to watch? What's, what's my favorite? Jeez.
0: But my couple of favorites, believe it or not, don't involve athletes you've heard of. And I'll tell you a typical one of those. I moved over to the Washington Star to write a column, and almost the first call I got on my new desk was from Ted Kennedy welcoming me to town. I said, do you greet every newcomer senator? And he said, just the ones I can use. Mm-hmm. And Which I thought was pretty honest for a politician. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I want to take you to lunch, uh, uh, he, he said, with my sister and another guy. Um, I, I'm not trying to try pry a column out of you. His sister was Eunice Kennedy Shred- was charity was Special Olympics, and the other guy was was a handsome actor named Christopher Reeve, who I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. He, he was he was starring in Superman, which was connected to the to Special Olympics. But anyway, that Saturday, I went to a Special Olympics um, deal at the Capitol Center, and I don't know why, but I homed in on a little ruddy-faced boy with Down syndrome, uh, stuck to his mother's hip, and he is his. his his you know his, his athletic deal was, was throwing a softball something really rudimentary but he threw it well enough to finish third in his class and climbed up on the on the medal stand and they looped a you know rip, ribbon around his neck with a little badge attached to it and um, he he didn't react with any emotion he was still in his trance and when he got off the stand he he, he and his mother exited, as it happened, up my aisle. I was sitting 20 rows up, you know, on, on an aisle. And he, he got to right beside me and he turned to me and he and he held out the little bronze metal plastic metal with his thumb and said, look what I want. And um, I, I, I it was all I could do to say, good going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the only time I ever cried covering anything. But the only time I wanted to.
1: So, I mean, I can imagine with all the events you experienced, there were some stories that uh, were left on the cutting room floor? Yeah, I guess, I guess so. There are probably things,
0: you know, that you don't, uh, you know, you don't say. You know, because it's kind of a, there's a, there's a trust. You know, uh, the, my favorite athletes through the years, Never said this is off the record. This is on the record. They trusted you to know, you know. And like I was around Bob Cousy a lot because he coached the team I covered, and um, Cousy would say things to me like, "Do you know the Barrigans?" And I'd, I'd say, "Jesuit priests, right?" Uh, war protesters, didn't they pour blood on, you know, uh, draft records somewhere? Are they in jail? And he said, "Phil is." He said. Dan might be going to jail for smuggling letters in to his brother. He said. Um, he said I met him at the cross, Holy Cross in Worcester, Mass. And he said I don't want you to get caught flat-footed if some of the letters are mine. <laughs> well, of course I didn't write that. Yeah. You know, and and, and didn't. There are a lot of things. There are a lot of things that you'd be surprised. How many things that you you just kind of know not to say, you know? And uh, it's not like you're protecting them, you know. I mean, to Ta- Tiger Woods once said in my presence, um, they were asking, "Where's Phil Mickelson?" Mickelson was taking one of his paternity breaks. His wife had tough pregnancies. He didn't want to play at the end of the year anyway. And so, 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 B- Butch Harmon was on a practice team. He said, to, "He said, to Tiger, where's Mickelson then?" And Tiger said, "Breastfeeding." <laughs> <laughs> and he looked. He looked over at me and he said, "Oh no." I said, "Sorry, pal." You know, and I did use that. But another time, I was the British Open was going on at Hoy Lake, which was Tiger's second greatest tour de force. And he on the third day, Saturday, he was paired with Ernie Els. were the. They were two of them were leading. Tiger, I think, was one up on Ernie, and. Um, so they're getting ready to go off and play and tiger's hitting a few of those one-handed putts getting ready and he looks over and i was standing with hank haney his coach for some reason he didn't see me or didn't register and, and tiger said uh if i break this guy's heart one more time meaning else, meaning maybe he'll go away and stay away and they saw me and he went oh no and i said i'm letting you off the hook on this one tiger I said, if you were coming in and said it, I'd use it. But I don't want you to think about it on the golf course. You're going out, so, you know, it's a free one, you
1: know? (laughs) Nice. So, I mean, it sounds like this book is uh, one amazing book that pretty much fans of all sports should check out.
0: Well, it's free. It'll be in the library. Don't buy it. You know, I'm I'm an old crock now, and I'm past the point of writing for money. I write for love. (laughs) So, yeah, I'd love anybody who would who, like to read it to, to go ahead, but, uh, but don't spend any money on it.
1: So, where on social media, where on the web, where can they find out more about you and your other writings?
0: I'm sorry?
1: Uh, where on the web, where on social media? Don't Thank you, Tom, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Hey, I enjoyed it. Thanks for talking with me. My pleasure. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at Mrs. Myers.com. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more.